You're listening to the podcast This Slavery, episode one, Pies, Chips and Politics. In 1925, the Labour Publishing Company released a novel entitled This Slavery. The writer was a young woman called Ethel Carney. The novel is a romance set against the industrial background of working-class Lancashire. Ethel Carney was a mill girl who had started work at 11 years old in a cotton mill in Great Harwood. For the first time ever, the world was presented with a storyteller born into a working-class community and who was able to reflect its struggle and resilience with an authentic voice. The life of Lancashire people has been bred into me through sharing their lives, their labours, their joys and sorrows, standing at the loom in a factory, living with them in tiny houses in porky streets. Like many working-class Lancastrians at the time, Ethel was a revolutionary socialist thinker. In this book, Ethel is talking to the mill girls like herself, standing at a loom all day. That's revolutionary in itself. Serious literature aimed at a working-class readership. The novel tells the story of the Martin family, mother, grandmother and two eligible daughters. Rachel and Hester, who both work in a cotton mill that's burnt down. Both girls love Jack Baines. However, this is romance Lancashire style. Hester, the delicate sister, is dressed in ugly mill clothes when Jack Baines comes courting and his first chance of a date is a trip to the chippy. Jane Austen, this is definitely not. Jack Baines stole a glance at Hester. There were bits of grey fluff in her dark hair. She'd not yet taken off the winder's belt with its pitted indentations made by the sharp pressure of the cop skewering. There was a smudge of black lead on one soft, delicate curve of the pale cheek. She was to him something surpassingly beautiful. All his hopes, apart from the revolution of course, were wrapped in that straight-fronted, high-bibbed, hideous apron. If only Rachel would ask Hester to run for some chips, he would get the chance to offer to go with her, to carry the umbrella. So he sat on and on discussing books with Rachel. Then he made up his mind. You might ask me to my supper, he chaffed. What price some chips? Ethel Carney has set her stall out early on. Love can come with a northern accent and working class customs. Dialogue in this slavery is simply an accurate rendition of how the people of East Lancashire spoke. Readers from outside of a working-class community might not realise there are vastly different levels of being working-class. These people had artistic and cultural sensibilities and they yearned for more. The Martins were not some kind of urban serfs living hand-to-mouth in bleak and graceless poverty. They were educated, if self-educated, and well-read. Hester has violin lessons and plays Bach and Beethoven. They've had electric lights fitted. There are pictures on the walls. Ethel takes the trouble 
to show us these things. The respectable Martins, though, might be at one end, but every town had its irredeemable slums. Ethel Carney shows us Ryan Street as a case in point. The rain was abating as they reached Ryan Street. Ryan Street was busy with swilling brushes, sweeping out water from the front door to the back door of its houses, men cursing and women lamenting, tasting the discomfort of a small flood. Women in shawls were standing in the roaring gutters, water up to the clog tops, screaming out to sleepy children, huddled in doorways to keep out of the wet. Tomorrow, at dawn, those still damp shawls would be swarming out towards the factories. Ryan Street was always like this in heavy rain. People lived in Ryan Street because it was cheaper. Ryan Street had bugs. Ryan Street had drunken people and people who fought together. Ryan Street was a little circle in the Hades of poverty, varying in degrees of degradation but forever the same old Hades, the inevitable parallel of the heaven of ease, leisure, culture, refinement, which would shudder back from Ryan Street. And yet, which is purchased by the sordid miseries of thousands who cannot escape from Ryan Street because they're trapped there. Throughout the book, there are casual references to deaths, accidents and suicides, not in that slightly thrilled Victorian way, but as a dull fact of life in industrial towns. Ethel Carney wants us to consider these kind of deaths not as suicides, but as murders. What are you getting at? I was trying to lead up to the fact that whenever anybody dees because they can't get grub and warmth, whether they dee slowly or fast, they've been murdered, asserted Rachel. He stared at her dumbfounded. Then he stared away, his gaze resting on a coffin lid with a woman's name on the shinting plate. She's left five, he said in a whisper. Five. There weren't a thing in the house to eat nor sup. Worked at Barstock, she did. And there were another coming along. So she did as she shouldn't have done, lass. The church says we shouldn't destroy life. Anyhow, she's dead. Murdered, corrected Rachel. Both Hester and Rachel work at Barstock's and they are the wage earners for the family. Barstock's mill was the one that was burnt down. It was not vandalism, it was an accident. And all the workers have been made unemployed through no fault of their own yet there is no system in place to stop them from starving. The Martin family, being highly respectable, have a terrible need to keep up appearances in order to hold on to that respectability. They decide to go to the house of their close friend, Matty Steiner, in the hopes of getting some tea. That's a meal, not a drink, of course. We are in Lancashire. Rachel and Mrs Martin did not go down to Matty's in the clogs and shawls, Death was in the house. To lock the door on a dead person and go out faint and hungry to cadge a meal was to do a thing too brutal to be displayed to the whole world. Dressed up, they might convey the impression that they were out on the business of seeing about the coffin, shroud or grave papers. What hypocrisy this slavery engenders when it must be dressed up to look respectable. Respectability was crucial. Without good standing amongst your peers, you could not thrive, and in some cases, your life could depend on it. Ryan Street and the workhouse beckoned. For Ethel Carney, 
This was a dilemma because it also turns a community into hypocrites. Without people being honest about their circumstances, the need to hide poverty and hardship, then the anger can't be turned outwards towards the real cause. There are times when I get sick of the working class, sick of them. They'll work till they drop, they'll rot without smashing a window, they'll clem and shake tablecloths without crumbs to deceive the next door neighbour. They'll spank the kids because they're tired. They'll give the chaps up because they're too young. A court ten years till they can get a nice home. They're no good. And I only stop with them because I can't get away from them. This was the language the mill girls could understand and identify with. They could see their own behaviour and their own dilemmas. Ethel leaves the worst of circumstances to speak for themselves. Romance and politics are inseparable in this book. Revolutionary politics is who they are, whether they are in love or not. Both girls have had the same political upbringing as each other, but Hester is frail and dreamy. It's Rachel who is the firebrand. This is the perfect opportunity for Ethel to catch the ear of her community in straightforward language. Rachel becomes a speaker and worker's leader, thrilling the reader who is now ready to hear the revolutionary ideas of the writer. Rachel looked earnestly at the crowd now. Their faces had come out of that strange mist into focus. Three hours, repeated Rachel, because if everybody worked, that would be enough for all the needs of the people of the world with the knowledge and resources we now have. That is for necessities. Of course, if I wanted to study or be a musician or paint or sing or make artistic things, after three hours, I could do so. You are content with a semblance of freedom. You are content if you've a week's grub before you. You are content with the idea of your children being no better off than you. You are content to pay your tuppence or sixpence to a union and leave its officials to think for you. You are content if you've plenty of work, if you bake and scrub and wash after you've done in the factory. I am not content to have to work till I drop down dead. By the end of part one, the girls' destinies are as far apart as they could be. Hester is engaged to a rich man who can save her from a life in the mill that's killing her. And Rachel has been arrested. Pies, Chips and Politics is a Pendle Radicals podcast commissioned by Mid-Pennine Arts in partnership with Lancashire County Council and Libraries Connected. Pendle Radicals is part of the Pendle Hill programme, supported by national lottery players through the Heritage Fund. This podcast is part of the BBC Novels That Shaped the World project, funded by Arts Council England. A huge thank you to everyone involved.